What, which, this, that, or the other? From Bonnaroo to Coachella, traversing the music festival landscape can be tricky. That's where we come in with high fives for everyone. The What Podcast with Brad, Barry, Lord Taco, dedicated to exploring the entire festival scene. Brad has worked in the radio industry for more than 20 years and currently lives in Brooklyn, where he is program director for three stations, including one in New York, one in Detroit, and one in Miami. Barry's been a reporter for the Chattanooga Times Free Press, covering all aspects of the entertainment industry since 1987. That's before you were born. Lord Taco, the smart guy who makes these podcasts on our website at thewhatpodcast.com work. Also really good at identifying babies, loves blue-haired moms, PBR, and his beautiful Volkswagen bus. We all fell in love with the Bonnaroo Festival years ago, not only because of the amazing bands that play there every year, but also because of the incredible community spirit that has developed around it. Radiate positivity. And we really like talking about the inside baseball stuff when it comes to putting on a huge music festival. So join us. You can hear the What Podcast on the Consequence Podcast Network or anywhere you find your favorite podcasts. Consequence Podcast Network. This is Ghost Echoes, a history of music with secret rules. I'm Matthew Parsons. An epigraph before we begin. A revolution is not a dinner party, or writing an essay, or painting a picture, or doing embroidery. It cannot be so refined, so leisurely and gentle, so temperate, kind, courteous, restrained, and magnanimous. A revolution is an insurrection, an act of violence by which one class overthrows another. Mao Zedong, 1927. Okay, let's take a moment to re-establish our principles. This podcast is guided by rules. These rules dictate to me what music I'll be dealing with in any given episode. That, however, is all I'm allowed to tell you. So say the rules. This time around, the rules have directed me to an album fronted by a British national treasure. The drummer, singer, and songwriter, Robert Wyatt. Wyatt's life mirrors the story of a character we've met before on this show. The experimental composer Cornelius Cardew. You may recall him as the subject of Ghost Echoes number one, And if you haven't heard that episode, it's probably best to traipse back through the feed and hear it now before you keep listening. It's called The Great Learning. Wyatt and Cardew were both joyously experimental in their own way. They were both committed communists, and they both suffered terrible accidents that sent ripples through the UK. Their stories aren't related in any historically significant way, but they are connected by their experiences and they're connected by their beliefs. This band, Matching Mole, rose from the ashes of a nasty breakup. It's the mole. Their singer and drummer, Robert Wyatt, had been kicked out of his previous band, Soft Machine, a year earlier. The name Matching Mole was a middle finger to Wyatt's former bandmates. You see, Soft Machine's biggest fan base was in France. But now, if they ever went there, trying to build themselves as Machine Mole, there might be some confusion. 
That same year, 1972, Wyatt found himself in a new relationship. Alfreda Benj was known to her friends as Alfie, or Alfie, should you require that third syllable for metrical reasons. Benj was a painter, poet, film editor, fashionista, close personal friend of Julie Christie, and the most politically active person Wyatt had ever known. Wyatt's crowd wasn't especially concerned with political life. He told the BBC, "I didn't start out in any way as any kind of a radical at all. And indeed, throughout the sixties, I was a hedonist, and only the most radical thing I ever did was smoke a bit of pot or not have a haircut, which is just like everyone else, really." I only grew into it in the seventies. As what happened, I felt, was that the world drifted to the right towards towards a sort of conservatism. That those who were born at the end of the Second World War and the beginning of the welfare state thought was gone. Thought was total anachronism. This would have been around the time that Wyatt started flipping through Alfreda Benj's copies of the Workers' Press. Something clicked. <laughs> Meanwhile, that same year, Cornelius Cardew was about to split up with his band as well. That band was the Scratch Orchestra, the motley band of performance artists you'll remember from episode one. They'd recently made a stir at an outdoor performance where the musical score consisted of a single instruction: act as obscenely as possible until the authorities arrive, which they duly did. By this time, Cardew's work at the Royal Academy of Music was basically over, but he still maintained some ties there. After this debacle, a spokesperson from the school felt obliged to make a statement. Mr. Cardew is not a professor in the sense that he has a chair in a department. He is simply a part-time teacher of composition. He has only one pupil, and I understand she is in hospital. Still. Causing minor disturbances like this wasn't enough for some of the scratchers. The growing number of hardline Marxists among them. This radical wing despaired at the reception the orchestra was getting among the poor and disenfranchised, and maybe that reception is not so surprising. After all, there's only so much goodwill that performance art can earn you. From the beginning, the Scratchers had believed that good intentions would be enough to bring people into their orbit, but no more. One of the Scratch Orchestra's resident Marxists, John Tilbury, described them as an unprepared irrelevance, with nothing to offer the working class. For all its egalitarian impulses, the Scratch Orchestra had become decadent. It limped along for a couple more years, but the old fire was gone. Now, for Cardew and for the leftmost flank of the Scratch Orchestra, the fire was in politics, and those politics were increasingly fueled by the writings of Mao Zedong. Robert Wyatt chose the title of the second matching Mole album, "Little Red Record," a reference to Chairman Mao's "Little Red Book." Which is a collection of choice quotations from throughout Mao's career, but the album cover, festooned in blatant Maoist kitsch, was the record company's idea. 
Dear me, but these were different times. Most of the music on Little Red Record isn't very political. It's mostly virtuoso, jazzy rock music. But when Wyatt does get political, he goes the whole distance. My radical cheek is soft and meek, but I'll kill it for it if you didn't get that, what Wyatt's singing there is, My radical cheek is soft and meek, but I'll kill if I must. I'd rather have the Chinese here than Europe on me thrust. I'd rather have the Chinese here than Europe on me To be clear, In 1972, the scale of Mao's violence in China was not entirely understood in England. Wyatt's support for China here is really just support for revolutionary socialism in general. He claims that he didn't quite know what that entailed, but on some of the other lyrics on the record, he seems to have gathered that revolutionary socialism doesn't necessarily entail making silly rock music. These two excerpts from Little Red Record are the only explicit political statements on the album. They're floating in a sea of the same kind of absurdist nonsense that Wyatt wrote when he was a member of Soft Machine. You get the sense that Wyatt is treating his newly radical politics as intrusive thoughts, and that his glib British sense of humor can't quite drown them out. The most telling line on the whole album comes at the very beginning. The first track's title is also its complete lyrics. Starting in the middle of the day, we can drink our politics away. Wyatt sings them in an even sillier sounding voice than his actual one. Cornelius Cardew's entrance into leftist politics came about through the Scratch Orchestra, just as it was disintegrating. His key political influence was his fellow Scratcher, Keith Rowe, who was also his bandmate in AMM, the band that performed this piece of music. Cardew and Rowe became members of the Communist Party of Britain Marxist-Leninist, which was in practice Maoist. In this party, Cardew found a sense of purpose, a goal to work towards, the emancipation of the proletariat. But he also found himself in the company of people who, as John Tilbury put it, dressed soberly and wore grave, earnest, and occasionally beatific expressions, the latter on utterance or contemplation of the thoughts of Chairman Mao. Among compatriots like these, The playful, mischievous sort of music Cardew wrote during his time with the Scratch Orchestra would simply not fly. 
And indeed, Cardew became an outspoken opponent of that kind of experimental music from this time forward. He even published a book called Stockhausen Serves Imperialism, in which he excoriated his old teacher and his younger self for writing music that sounds transgressive, but that doesn't actually do anything to upend the social order. This begs the question, when you write music that does attempt to upend the social order, what does that sound like? Well... British working class, you have a fine history. This battle's waged against a vicious enemy with great determination. British working class aspires to revolution in the face of attempts to crush this aspiration of socialism in Britain. I mean... What you just heard was a performance by People's Liberation Music, a group led by Cardew in the late 70s. They used to perform at rallies from the back of a truck. This kind of music took up a big chunk of Cardew's creative energy in his later years. Propaganda songs, with lyrics that sound like he just set a pamphlet to music without changing a word. The Revolutionary Communist Party of Britain loves his Leninist is the head to direct the blows of the you know, I'm going to set aside judgment on this one. I'm going to invoke the wisdom of someone else. This is a quote. Works of art which lack artistic quality have no force, however progressive they are politically. Therefore, we oppose both works of art with a wrong political viewpoint and the tendency towards the poster and slogan style, which is correct in political viewpoint, but lacking in artistic power. That is a quote from the Little Red Book of Mao Zedong. Let's review. At the beginning of the 1970s, Cornelius Cardew believed that anybody could come to understand complex ideas. The Scratch Orchestra was supposed to prove it. But by the end of the decade, Cardew had reneged on all of that. Music like this can only result from a drastic lack of faith in humanity. We are the workers of Ontario. Back in his soft machine days, Robert Wyatt got to tour America with Jimi Hendrix. These were crazy times. By the time we got back, I was, I think I was probably already alcoholic by then. Throwing it back, you know, just heaps of stuff. By the turn of the 60s, I, I sort of had me moments, but I think I was too erratic to be reliable professionally. I mean, I was really, really physically very reckless. June 1st, 1973. 
Wyatt and Alfie Benj headed off to a birthday party at the famous West London flat of Lady June, one of the great party throwers of the day. Benj remembers Wyatt saying how happy he was in the lift. Since then, whenever he's said that, she's always assumed something terrible is about to happen. December 12, 1981. A dismal, freezing, stormy day. Cornelius Cardia was heading off to Birmingham by train to meet with his party comrades. By this time, he was a major figure in the now-renamed Revolutionary Communist Party of Britain, with a police record for his role in anti-fascist demonstrations. He no longer made calls from his home phone for fear of surveillance. He stepped out to use the payphone just outside to make sure the trains were still running in the storm. They were. He returned to the house to say goodbye to his partner, Sheila, and left. Then, as if compelled, he returned to the house once more to tell her he loved her and stepped out again, collar up against the chill. Robert Wyatt got very drunk at the party. Drunker than usual, hallucinating, barely present in reality. He went to the washroom, and it's hard for him or anybody to quite say what happened after that, but it seems he tried to escape the bathroom via the drainpipe instead of the door, maybe to avoid somebody. The weather grew more severe throughout the day. Cardi returned to London and began to make his way home. The bridge by the Leighton tube station in East London was slick with ice. It was late, after dark. The traffic had dispersed for the night. But as Cardew crossed the street, a single car suddenly materialized on the bridge. On June 1, 1973, Robert Wyatt fell to the ground from a fourth-floor window. On December 12, 1981, Cornelius Cardew was struck by a car. Wyatt survived his ordeal. Cardew did not. Cornelius Cardew composed this music during the same period as his political agitprop songs. It's called the Telmann Variations, a tribute to Ernst Telmann, the leader of the Communist Party of Germany during the Nazi period. Telmann was held in solitary confinement for 11 years before being shot on Hitler's orders in 1944. This music could just as easily serve as a memorial to Cardew himself. Almost from the very moment of the hit-and-run that killed Cardew by the Leighton tube station, his friends and family have asserted that his death was, in fact, an assassination. Here's Cardew's biographer, John Tilbury. Of necessity, he courted danger. His way of life uh, and death demanded physical risk and sacrifice. Theories abound on who may have been responsible for Cardew's death. The driver of the car was never found. 
Some blamed the London-based fascists that Cardew frequently demonstrated against. Others insist that it was MI5, and that the conspiracy ascends to the very highest level of the British government. And of course, it may simply have been an ordinary road accident. At the age of 18, Cardew wrote in his diary, I have an insane desire to be an unsolved mystery. The only difficulty is to find a murderer clever enough to carry this out. Mission accomplished? By the turn of the 60s, I was sort of had me moments, but I think I was too erratic to be reliable professionally. So it, it's of no surprise to me or anybody who knows me that I eventually broke my back because I was going to do something. But that was about only 73, wasn't it? I was in a band called Matching Mole then, by that time. Fell out of a window, broke my back, and started again. Robert Wyatt's injury put him in a wheelchair. It ended the existence of Matching Mole, and it ended his career as a drummer. But Wyatt has more than made the best of it. He said, If God had invented wheelchairs, he would have presented them as a natural alternative to legs for those who preferred the choice. Wyatt's new set of restrictions inspired him to make music in a totally different way, not thinking as a drummer, but as a singer and a songwriter. He mapped out his comeback album while he was recovering in the hospital. It's called Rock Bottom, but it's not the sound of a man who's hitting it. It's the sound of a man who bounced off of Rock Bottom and ended up higher than he ever was before. As a singer first, instrumentalist second, Wyatt took a new interest in political songs. Freed from the obligation to constantly travel and play concerts, Wyatt and Benj started reading more. They read Noam Chomsky and Franz Fanon. They wrote songs together. And in a series of singles in the early 80s, both originals and covers, Wyatt stated his case. Just a rumor that was spread around town Somebody said that someone got filled in For saying that people get killed in The result of the shipbuilding This song is from one year after Cornelius Cardew's death. Whether he knew it or not, Robert Wyatt carried the torch. He could be diving for I'm Matthew Parsons. Next time on Ghost Echoes, a new sensation, a fabulous creation.
Consequence Podcast Network.